And if you don't know who Ted Rubin is, then you must have your hole in this, your head in the sand somewhere because he's everywhere and he's all about relationships. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And it really sparks off your book, Ted, How to Look Someone in the Eye Digitally. And I really want to kind of talk about that and, and how we can have digital relationships that end up like our relationship being face-to-face, -face, which is really kind of where we want to go with this digital thing. Well, you know, again, you know, you're never going to duplicate, but I actually think that social platforms and, and all the things that are digital have given us the ability to be better friends, but we're not using them that way. You know, and one of the things I like to say, and I've been saying it for a while, is that we have to take the word friend back. And we've got to take it back from Facebook. And and by the way, this is not a put down of Facebook. It's actually kudos to an amazing, amazing marketing branding job of a company that has taken ownership of a word that's been around throughout civilization. And to the point where when I speak to groups of hundreds, even thousands of marketers, many VP level and above, and I say we have to take back the word from Facebook because they've taken ownership of it. At least three or four tweets go out saying, do they really own the word? Did they trademark it? <laughs> well, of course they didn't trademark the word friend, but they've taken ownership of it the way you do anything um, in the digital world now by using it, by, by building meaning around it. And unfortunately, I don't believe this was their intention. I think their intention was to add a new segment to our life, the ability to connect with people and know so much more about them. But instead, people think they click a button, they make a friend. Yeah. And, and to me, that's nothing more than the initial handshake. If I meet you in an event and somebody say, and you walk up to me and say, hi, I'm Janet, you stick out your hand, that is an invitation to become a friend. It's not a friendship in itself. And what I love is that I have so much, so many tools at my access that when I know Janet, and in the old days, I would have met you at an event, let's say a few years ago, and we would have exchanged cards and may, maybe, maybe an email or two, or maybe we would have done some business together. But all in all the interim, until I saw you again in an event like we did at SDL Innovate this past week, I would know nothing about what's going on in your life or what you're doing or what you're publishing. And mm -hmm. now I have the ability to see it all. And, you know, again, when, like some people say, oh, I hate Facebook because people don't feel like they have to really connect with people, but you can actually connect better. You can talk about their life events. You can feel totally connected. I am right now at a friend's house in Phoenix who I know since preschool. <laughs> uh, we we are both 57. We met when we were four years old. Wow. And and we knew each other all through school. Uh, in high school, she dated my best friend. We went to college an hour down the road from each other. After college, she moved out here. And we've maintained a friendship. And we sometimes have gone. I mean, in recent years, we've we've matured. We've, you know, we've become more successful. We've been able to travel more. But in other years, we wouldn't see each other for a few years. But now we always know what's going on in each other's lives. I see pictures of her family, of her kids, of a new business, of something she's doing. And to me, people just aren't taking advantage of those things. They're not doing what I call looking people in the eye digitally. The same way, the, the same way we were taught as children, or as young adults, or as new business people by our by our parents, our mentors, our coaches, about when you meet somebody and you're talking to them, look them in the eye, pay attention to them, let mm -hmm. them know that you're not glancing all around the room looking at other things. Make comments that let them know you hear what they're saying, whether it's a good salesperson always repeats back what he hears from somebody. I like to say that I really believe that the best marketers are former great salespeople. 
um, who have moved on beyond sales because salesmen, the good ones, truly know how to ask the right questions, how to listen when their prospects or their relationships or their friends are speaking, and know how to feed back some of that information, make somebody feel like you're paying attention, talk about something in their room, on their desk, on their walls. Um, when I first was taught by my dad, I remember going on some of my first business meetings and I'd call from my dad and he'd say, so, you know, when's your first meeting? And what are you going to do? And of course, I tell him, what do you mean I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the office. I'm going to carry my briefcase. I'm going to walk in the door. He goes, no, 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 no. He said, first of all, and this was back when we didn't have the kind of research we have now. He'd go, find a trade directory. Find a, an alumni directory. Find out something about the guy you're going to see. Get there an hour early. Mm. Walk around the neighborhood. See what stores, what businesses are there. Get into the office building. See other businesses. Try to get into his office early. If the secretary's there and he's not available, say, well, can I sit in his office and wait for him? Look at the walls. Look at the diplomas, the, 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 the awards, the photos. Is he a golfer? Is he a fisherman? Does he have kids? Is he a grandfather? Find points of connection, of a way to have a conversation of something that's relevant to that person. Well, and that certainly applies to digital, you know, and I, I have to say I was I was in an amazing event last night uh, with WTO Connect, and it brought together a dozen people that I hadn't seen in months, or some of them ever, but I knew through social, and I knew about their lives, and I knew so much about them that starting a conversation was simple, and I think that's something that we learn from active listening on social networks is that if we really want to understand who in our market is talking about a problem that we can help them with, then we need to get that listening going and actually care about what they're saying and actually think about how we can help them as individuals. And let's talk about how easy it is to do today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can sit in a meeting you can forget to do this on your way. You can be way too busy. But while you're walking in the cab, even in the meeting, you can pull up somebody's LinkedIn profile. You can, there are apps like Refresh. Mm. I don't know if you've ever used Refresh, which if you, if you use it properly and you sign in with all your social channels, your contacts file, your email, you give them it access. Every time you have a meeting scheduled on your calendar, whatever time you set it for, five minutes, 15, an hour, it brings up the last emails you had with the person, anything that you have in your contact database. Now, I'm a little bit obsessive. Anybody I meet, or even if somebody emails me and I add them to my database, I add in a copy of that initial email to give context to who they are. I'll make a note about where I met them, if we had a conversation, and I can remember. I mean, obviously, sometimes I might meet a few hundred people at an event, and I don't remember every conversation. Sometimes, that's why I love business cards. It gives me a chance to focus on that person the minute they give me their card implant their, their name, let them know that I'm interested in this something that they're handing me, and then very often I'll make notes on the cards. You know, I, I hate those slick cards where you can't write on them. Note to the world. And then I add that information to my database so that like when I meet them again, I can immediately pull up our last conversation, things that we've had. And you know, businesses can do this too, and they say they can't, but the truth be told, um, most, even large businesses, even Fortune 500s, um, the people that are reaching out to them are just not in the tens of millions. It's just not. You know, it's probably not even in the thousands. If you look at comments on Facebook pages, if you look at replies and answers on Twitter, you know, again, the companies that are doing customer service during Twitter, it gets a little more complicated. But certainly, the bigger the company, the more they can afford the software 
uh, mm -hmm. that can help them do it. But you can have somebody's name. You can immediately have access to their profile. You can know right away where they live. I mean, a simple thing as saying to somebody from Park City, hey, I like to ski, lets them know that you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. Let's them know that you, and you don't have to say, hey, I see you're from Park City. I like to ski. Just by saying it, they, they know that you're being it. If you're talking to somebody from New York City and you say, you know, my favorite thing about New York is the Met. They know what you're talking about. They know that they didn't, you, they, you didn't just bring up New York City out of nowhere. You brought it up because that's where they live. Right. And, and these kind of things, and, or as simple as just calling people by name. When you email them, when you text them, including that one extra word, to me, makes all the difference. Well, it's making that connection to them and, and really, you know, just taking that extra step, like you said, you know, it really goes back to old school sales techniques that really good salesmen still carry. And now we have these amazing CRMs. Uh, I use one called Contactually that I just love because it really cross-references all of that information for me. And when I go to send some information to somebody, I've got a lot more information about what it is that they like. And it goes to, you know, what they do in business. People tend to think that, you know, in their business channels, they can just focus on this is my product and this is the only thing you could possibly be interested in. And they don't think of all the tangential things that people are really interested in. You know, say if you're skiing, say you sell ski boots. Well, you don't just sell boots. You, you talk about ski conditions, you talk about great hills, you talk about great skiers, you talk about the things that those people do the rest of the year. You can't sell ski boots in April and, well, maybe April, in July. Um, you know, you got to think of something to keep that conversation going and what are you going to talk to them about? Absolutely. And you don't sell ski boots every season. It's a matter of building that relationship for the long term. And it's also here, one of the mistakes, I, I was just having a, a great conversation with the head of diversity marketing for um, and, and diversity within the company at Cox Communications. Mm -hmm. And um, and we were talking about, um, you know, the way um, millennials communicate and the, the signals that some companies and people like us boomers or whatever are, are, are mis misinterpreting. So, and, and I've learned this just from watching, observing, and then communicating myself in that we watch whether it's millennials or even us, you and I might have a text conversation and we know each other really well. So that text conversation could be one word answers, quick repartee, no mention of anything personal, no, no notes, no, no, no mentions of names, but that's because we know each other. That doesn't mean that you want to be contacted that same way by a brand or a business. It right. means that that's the way you communicate once you've established a relationship or it's somebody that you can get that close to. And I see a lot of mistakes being made where brands think, oh, millennials just want one word answers or they just want something quick because they're all about text. But mm -hmm. not, when they, not when they don't know you, not when they haven't had that relationship with you yet. And, and the other thing that's happening, and I read a great post about it today, um, is that expectations are moving from digital to the real world. So... What it really is, is that when I'm online with you, I have all your information. S retail stores have to start providing that on site. Um, uh, um, salespeople or counter people or people working in those organizations have to have tools that allow them to access the same kind of information seamlessly because we have that expectation once we get in the store of why don't you know me? You yeah, know I me. follow you on Facebook. Why don't you know everything about me and what, kind, what size shoes I wear already? Right. 
And and the truth be told, a lot of them do have the tools to do it. They're just not willing to to to, or not willing or not ready or or not affordable yet. But it's something they certainly have to be looking towards because that's what personalizes. That's what you know. It's nobody minds an upsell if it's a valuable upsell that's mm -hmm. relevant and contextual and done at the right time. But I do mind an upsell if it's strictly to sell me more shit, and it doesn't add value to my life. And it's done in a way that is not personalized and in the right moment. And that's really, you know, we have these tools, but what happens is we just become very mechanical with them. Mm. And, and I, I'm, I am, look, it's, it's online with what Brian Kramer talks about with human to human. And, you know, my book, Return on Relationship, which came before is that I, like, sometimes people mis misunderstand return on relationship. They think it's that I'm saying return on relationship versus return on investment. I'm not mm. saying that at all. I'm saying return on relationship will enhance return on investment that if right. you put in that extra time don't worry about the immediate return this moment and take a longer view uh, your return on investment will be better yeah and so let's talk about that too because a lot of people think that you know they can use these automation tools to you know tell that person how much they know about them or or really fine-tune their marketing but if it's all automated and there's no personal element then really how much value does that have to the brand? You know, if, if you feel like you're being auto-marketed to, you're probably gonna respond a little differently. No, look, again, it's long-term, short-term view. There's a place for automation, we all know that. There's a place for, you know, the email marketing, there's a place to offer people extra products as they're leaving the store. But you always have to look at both sides of it. Now we have the tools to do that. So, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of retargeting mainly because the way retargeting is used for most brands is it's just an upsell. It's simply how can we get the consumer to buy X amount percentage more goods with every cart? What can we serve them up? What can we do? What discount code can we throw them? How can we draw them back in? And what they look at only, and I don't blame the retargeting companies, they, they're smart sales guys. How do they sell this? They say, hey, here it is without retargeting. Let, let us give it to you for free for a little while. Look, you got a 5% increase in cart value across the board. It only cost you 1% with our fee. Look at what you made. But what they're not looking at is the 95% that are pissed off that they would try to so be sold something that they didn't necessarily want. It's right. just like what customer service used to be. And it still is in a lot of places. Still in a lot of places, there's a huge disconnect between marketing and customer service. And the customer service teams are rewarded very differently from the marketing teams. And very, very rarely does the head of customer service report to the CMO which I think is a major problem in most companies because here's the CMO out there building the brand, telling people that they love them, that they're gonna do everything to make them happy, that they wanna nurture this relationship. And then they call up customer service and the first answer they're given is no, we can't help you. Now it's, it's a lot less than it used to be. I mean, back in the days when I ran a customer service team for 800 flowers in their corporate marketing department, they said no to every first request because 70% of the people just said, oh, okay, hung up the phone. <laughs> And that was a huge win because it was all about how long was a call in the queue, how quickly could you move it through, that's how the teams got rewarded. And there still are a lot of customer service teams that get rewarded that way. How quickly you can get people off the phone and not give them what they want. But what they weren't looking at then because they couldn't really, was what was that person saying to, all, to everybody once they got off the phone? Or, and what they weren't looking at, which they could have, but they didn't, is, is that person reordering. Like, look at that person that called customer service. How often did they used to order? How often are they ordering now? Did us saying no cause them to cut down from three times a year to either never or once a year? What was the cost of that? 
And now all of this stuff can easily be tracked and looked at and viewed. And we can see the conversations that people are having when they're not happy. And when, again, remember, when they're not happy for something that they have a legitimate gripe about. I am not about, I wrote a blog post uh, a few months ago about that we say we're sorry too often. You know, don't apologize. One, you did nothing wrong. Or number two, you have no, you, you, you're not sorry. Mm. Because then you're not going to change anything in the way you do and you're just going to repeat it. And, you know, that doesn't work. And, and, and you can't get bullied. I mean, JetBlue has an, a great policy. You know, ask us anything, we'll reply. Bully us into trying to do something, you're done. Mm. One, one threat about your social profile, the people you share it with, JetBlue will not communicate with you. I mean, they might communicate with you. You will not get what you're asking for. No more croc situations that we used to have all the time where bloggers would say, oh, well, obviously you don't know who I am and the power that I have. I exactly. think brands are a lot smarter about that now than they used to be. A lot smarter. I don't know if you saw, if you heard about what happened in New York City. I believe it was 2012. It might have been 2011. There was a blogger, the big blog conference, blog her, mm -hmm. was in New York City for the second time. And a bunch of bloggers... Um, um, went out and went to this restaurant and they couldn't get in. And it was New York City. I mean, the place, it was a busy week. And they said, I'm sorry, you have no reservation. The blogger's like, no, I don't think you understand who we are. You know, and they started going off on them. That way they're gonna, there's this whole thing and it's a whole <laughs> blogging conference. And, and the next morning on the front door of the restaurant, there was a big sign that said, we don't care how many followers you have, no reservation, no table. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And it said, it said directed to the women who threatened us last night and mm -hmm. bloggers were taking pictures of it and sharing it, you know, because it was, it was all that's bad about these things. When people yeah. just think that, okay, I can bully my way into something instead of sharing, um, engaging, having a conversation. And then of course, using it appropriately. Should this be used because you're just pissed off about something mm -hmm. to start a movement. And I think people have gotten more sophisticated. They support less things that aren't real. And, and that, that don't have value. So, you know, it, it's, it's, if pe again, if people use these things properly, if they dig in, if they take, and look, it takes time. Here's the problem. People are thinking these are shortcuts, but the problem is to really build relationships, there are no shortcuts. Uh, there are the normal shortcuts. I mean, I can, I can come to Phoenix and let everybody know I'm here and have a meetup so I can meet 30 people at once instead of having 30 lunches or coffees. But you still have to do your research. You still have to talk to those people. Otherwise, you never really connected. It, it, or at least they have to be in the room while you're having a conversation and do what I call participate vicariously. Because I think a lot of people build connection by watching conversations like this that you and I are having and, sure. and doing that online. Like companies that think they can't scale um, all the people that follow them and having conversations, I believe they're absolutely incorrect because I think a very, very fractional percentage of people want to actually communicate directly and the rest watch the other conversations and feel a part of it and know that if they ask a question, it'll get answered. And that's what I call participating vicariously and building the relationship that way. Well, I think that's a great point because a lot of brands don't understand, you know, if they're not getting what they call, what they call engagement, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, on whatever platform they're on, you know, they're not realizing that it's maybe 1% of the people that are connected to them are actually going to say anything. They're listening. It doesn't mean they're not listening and not paying attention and not learning. So, you know, putting out that content that really is focused on helping their consumer, you right. know, and, and finding ways to chip in instead of worrying about whether they're responding 
specifically uh, or not. And there's a lot of bad advice going around that if somebody isn't active on a platform, stop following them or stop, stop doing with them. But truth be told, most often, the most valuable people, the people that are actually reading your content and, and engaging with it by reading the comments, the answers, by reading both sides, and that's the vast majority of people. And a lot of times, you don't even know those people are there. You don't even know they participated. It amazes me when I find out, I bump into people that, that my Facebook page is open to anybody. And I meet executives around the country who have, are not friends of mine on Facebook, have never liked my, um, have never made a comment, and they know everything I've done for the last year. Mm -hmm. They comment, I mean, I was with a friend last night, and you know, she was commenting about something I wrote a few weeks ago. I never even knew that she came to my blog or that yeah. she came to my Facebook page. But, but because, you know, just because people don't comment, as a matter of fact, again, most of them won't. So I just think it's really important to recognize that, that the way people actually participate. And mm -hmm. it, it, look, it's one of the reasons I've, I've started having a real love for Snapchat. You know, like, uh, I don't like it like a lot of people in that it's, it's hard. It, it, content disappears. You can't create something that lasts forever all the time. But what I like about it is I see it as a microcosm of all social. Um, I, I, I met a really smart woman uh, a few weeks ago, I, I, at, um, and you might have seen her present. I don't know if you were at Brand Innovators when Casey Keen uh, yes. um, presented. And she had done that presentation uh, a couple of weeks ago for us as well. And the points that she makes, when she finishes speaking about Snapchat, I look at the audience and I say, you didn't just get a lesson just in Snapchat just now. You got a lesson in all social platforms. Because on Snapchat, if you're not engaging, communicating, or sharing, don't even be there. It, nobody will pay attention to you. There's no reason to, to do anything there. It doesn't help you, unless, of course, you're buying ads. But that's just buying ads. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really the way it should be on all platforms. The problem is on, on platforms like Twitter and Facebook and, and, and LinkedIn, you, you tend to have this belief because the audience is so vast and the, and the content stays there for so long that you can just blast out and, and, and publish and you'll get the true value of it. And you do look. You can use those platforms to broadcast. Nobody's saying you can't. But if you want to get the real value of it, you want to really leverage it for what it's worth, it's the connection and the conversation that becomes valuable there. And that's what Snapchat is doing every minute of every day. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's such a cool place and why I think that everybody's got to wrap their arms around it. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I'm spending the afternoon, late afternoon, evening today with Brian Fanzo. Um, by the way, shout out to Fanzo, putting the hat on backwards. <laughs> That's for Brian. Um, Brian's coming over because, you know, he's a native to some of these platforms. And although people mistake, they think that I'm not a technology guy. I'm, it doesn't come natural to me um, to figure out how to use things. But we're going to be having a conversation about Snapchat and some of the better ways to use it and Periscope. And, and, and what are the value there? Because I want to learn from somebody that's jumped on these platforms from the beginning. The same way mm -hmm. I did maybe in the early days of, of Facebook and Twitter and get some insight into how best to utilize them. Um, whether or not I'm going to be active there or build a huge following, I might if, if I like it or I feel good about it. But more importantly, I feel I need to understand it better. Yeah, and a shout out to Brian, too, because he really has jumped on, especially the Meerkat Periscope discussion. You know, it's been really interesting to watch what he does with it because, you know, as people adopt these platforms and they kind of adapt how they work according to each individual platform, which is one of the things that a lot of people don't give any thought to at all. They do the same kind of marketing across all the platforms. And maybe it's just laziness, maybe it's not understanding the platform, 
or maybe it's rigidity in their messaging, but that's really got to change. You can't send the same message to LinkedIn as you do to Snapchat. It just ain't going to work. Got it. It's all, it's all three. You know, you, you can do it to a degree when you just merely syndicate, but you can't engage and interact the same way. You've got to gear it towards that. It's one of the reasons I love Instagram. And, and I tell anybody, whether it's a brand, an individual, uh, a family, if you're new to social, Instagram is the best place to start because creating content is as easy as click, 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 click. Right. You know, and then, and you're creating content that works on every platform. I mean, if I take a photo from Instagram and I syndicate it to Tumblr, um, Facebook, Twitter, it works mm -hmm. because it's an image and images work on all of these platforms. But again, like you said, I, I have to communicate completely differently on Instagram than I do on Twitter than I do on Facebook. And then it also amazes me when the companies make a decision, and this has happened very rigidly in the last, in the last couple of years, that one platform is good for one thing and one platform is good for another thing. So if, if you notice, Twitter has become the customer service platform. Now, I, I right. tend to agree with that. It's a communication platform. It's good for that. You, can, you do keep your conversations. You can track it. But why do no brands respond? To, so because of that, brands have decided Twitter is where we'll communicate. Facebook is where we'll broadcast. And very few brands respond on Facebook. I mean, very few. Uh, when I speak at audiences, the only brand that anybody ever raises their hand and mentions is Red Bull. But literally, I go to brands who are incredibly responsive on Twitter. And let's take a brand that I support all the time, JetBlue. Try to get JetBlue to respond to you on Facebook. Hmm. Try. It's, hey, everybody it's, that's listening, to go try that as an experiment right now and see what happens. And, uh, and for everybody that's listening, if you work for a major brand, Start responding on Facebook and you will set yourself apart in a heartbeat. I mean, look at a company like um, Harry's, okay? Harry's is known as an online marketer. It's supposed to be one of the best. They sell the, 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 the razors like Dollar Shave Club. I have put a request and questions on their Facebook page probably a hundred times. I've never, and I want to tell you how directed those things are. I'd love to buy your product, but I've had real bad experiences with Dollar Shave Club. Is your product better? I can't get a response. Hmm. Now, even if they don't want to say, yes, ours is better, they could say, hey, we'd love for you to try it. Or, hey, you know, why don't you consider it? Or here are some facts about, or here are some reviews, something. Never once ever gotten a response. What is that about? Yeah, I mean, well, it's just not paying attention at all. It's, you know, that, and that's, to me, that's the big problem with broadcasting is that, broadcasting has no response factor at all and it really isn't doing you much good i mean sure it gets you in front of the brand just like retargeting does but we as the consumers know that that's mindless for broadcasting that it really doesn't have a connection for us yeah it's you know retargeting hits you over the head with a baseball bat 27 times even after you've bought the product and you know you don't want to see it anymore and then you hide their ads now do they even pay attention to that maybe not well, how about i mean i'm sure you, if you're an online shopper you know just check out and leave something in your cart and the odds are with 90 percent of the brands you'll get a discount offer within at, at the very most 24 hours you know yeah. You never know how long it is because a lot of them try different things. They'll do 10 minutes, then they'll do an hour. They'll rotate it just to see what the response rates are. But, I mean, there's almost, I don't think there's, a, other than Amazon, who doesn't really do that, 
but any other online marketer, I never check out when I first go there. I, <laughs> See, I, I never did that. Now I'm going to oh, do it. Oh, just close your cart, leave, make sure they have your email address, and they're going to they're going to reach out to you and offer your discount code. I mean, there you, you know, they're, they're discounting themselves into oblivion. My my, my ex business partner, um, John Andrews. Who, who, who's brilliant, like, likes to say that like pizza companies have, have discounted themselves out of margins. He said, I, I live in a home where I can't buy the pizza I like because if we don't have a coupon, my wife won't let me buy it. She buys by the coupon. You know, what do we have a coupon for? And she doesn't buy unless she has a coupon. Mm -hmm. So there's no such thing as a $16 pizza. It's a $10 pizza. You know, it's, it's a $5 pizza. I'm all so, for $5 pizza. Yeah, right. <laughs> But, but the point being is that, you know, if you add value, if you deliver value, you know, I, I, you know you're going to get people to buy your product. If you build awareness, that's going to lead to people knowing about your product. If you build relationships, if you, if you add value, you're going to be able to add margin. Mm -hmm. it, it's really that simple. That's the way things work. I mean, I am the last guy to pay extra for something in the supermarket. But if I can walk into the one down the block from me, and every time this, uh, an extra person, on, literally second person online, a new counter opens. Because people don't wait there. People will come and pay more money for those things. Because in, in, in truly, depending on what they do, their time is money and they're saving money. And there's a smile on the face. I mean, it always amazes me that that Saks, that Neiman's, that Bloomingdale's has never adopted what Nordstrom's does. That mm -hmm. they come out from behind the counter and hand the bag and, and, and personally look you in the eye. Shake your hand. If you ask for something in a different department, they're authorized to walk to that department with you. Not just sell you, oh, go to the escalator, go up two flights, you know, and it makes people want to be there. It's one of the reasons that they very rarely have financial downturns and recessions the way other retailers experience because people feel connected to the store. And it's a simple thing. It's, it's just the little extras. And yeah. online, it's so easy to do these things. It's so easy to take the moment to add a name to an email, to a Twitter response. Instead of saying thanks, say thanks with a name, to mention something that's in their profile. And again, like I say, the bigger the company, the more access they have to CRM software that makes this easier. So there's really no excuses for it. Well, that's really where it comes to having humans actually managing your social media accounts and reducing that automation level. Um, again, not saying that automation is bad in itself, but somebody has to be paying attention when they do get responses, when they do get messages to but, actually respond to them in a very human way. But let's take that to the next level, okay? And the reason a lot of that's not happening is twofold. It's not just the financial aspect. It's that companies don't trust their employees, mm -hmm. that they're afraid of what they're gonna say, that they're terrified. I mean, I read all, oh my God, be careful. Make sure you have a policy. Employees can't say this, they can't say that. First of all, most of these social media blunders you hear about, do you remember any of them? I mean, <laughs> well, I remember a lot of them. I mean. <laughs> But even the ones you remember, does, does the consumers care? No. Look at the sales of the company. Have, have, has, has U.S. Air sales suffered because of a blunder they made? Has, has any of these things where something happens, an employee says something stupid or a CEO says something dumb, if you own up to it, if you move on, if you don't mm. make an issue out of it yourself, people will forget about it in moments. This but stuff that's the key. That's the key right there is that you have to respond to it. Okay, we made a mistake. Right. Don't deny it. Don't hide it. Say oops and move on because right. it becomes such a bigger thing if you I just 
Right, and don't and don't fire an employee. I mean, clearly, if they do something that's you know it, it really gregarious and, and bad, that's one thing. But sure. in general, this I mean, like what was it back when with the Chrysler had the guy tweeting from the account that said Detroit drivers uh, suck or something like that, mm -hmm. and I mean the agency got fired and the guy got fired. Like who cares? I mean, if it was me running that account, I would have said, well, let's be honest. Drivers here are not so great. Well, but you know? it depends. Well, like the guy from, I think it was UPS, that landed in a city he didn't like and, and was going to meet a client there at their home office and said, you know, or I'm sorry, he was an agency, and said, you know, this is the armpit of the world. Well, it's their national headquarters, and you should have a little more respect for the people that you're visiting and your business partners. So that's, to me, different. No, absolutely, but it also goes away after that. It, 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 it yeah. isn't going to put the company out of business. And the truth be told, to me, it's, again, it's the, it's the rewards versus, you know, it's, it's the benefits of letting people speak, of letting them communicate with people, of, make, of empowering them to be a part of the conversation. And then there's very little, there's such simple things you can do. Mm -hmm. And I, mean, I know you were in a presentation when I was talking about the other day, and I didn't mention this company because they were a competitor of the company I was speaking for, but like Adobe does an amazing job of empowering their employees to ask a simple question. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. I mean, how hard is it to take a sales force, have them pay attention to social, and when Janet says something about a problem with UPS, with FedEx or something, for any employee to say, I noticed your comment. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. Start a conversation. Yeah, respond. What can I do to help you? You know, how can I be there? I'm listening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are such simple things that you can outline for people that make them human, that show that they care, and then have policies inside where if they ask a tougher question, there's somebody else that you can refer to or you can go to. I mean, JetBlue has an amazing program. They have access to top people in every department. So when the social team gets asked something that they are not capable of answering, they don't have to wait days for an answer. They get an answer, I don't know exactly within what period of time, but rather rapidly so that they can show that they're responding. That's where a social media policy really does help because right. then it allows them to know who do I need to go to to get the answers and how should I answer these questions and empowering people simply with stupid things like logos and you know images that they can share about okay this is how the product works here's a link a link to a PDF that's going to solve your problem those kind of things can really be very useful and very few companies do it still or how about as easy as we hear you when we're looking into it mm-hmm or you know, and one of the things I love about social platforms is that when I meet you face to face, if you come in the store to complain to me and, and, and you pose a question to me or say something and I stand there for five minutes deciding how to answer you, that's not going to work. But on, on, on social, again, it goes to you can take a breath. You can check an answer. Yes, people expect somewhat quick response, but they don't expect it by the second. Yeah. They don't. That gives you an opportunity to respond instead of being reactive to the right. situation and be more mindful of how you're going to respond and react to the situation. Exactly. And, know, and knowing who you are and what you do. I, 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 I hung out for a little while with Peter Shankman before he had his baby and, you know, had no time to really hang out with anybody before he got married, before he had his baby. And, you know, I, I don't really think he did this, but he had a line that I liked when he said that when I go out with my buddies drinking, I leave my iPhone home. Hmm. 
you know, and, and really the point he was making is if I got with my buddies and I know I'm getting trashed and I know I'm going to do something I'm going to regret, I'm going to do what I can to stop myself from doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's all about being mindful and, and about what your mindset is. And then also, you know, you'll find that when people are given a little latitude and given a little support from their company and then given training, you know, they're going to think about those kind of things. And, mm -hmm. and then if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. People make mistakes in stores every day. That stuff's now being videotaped and shared. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, look at the police forces around the country. I mean, there's good sides and bad sides to it. The good side is there's a little bit more attention to what might be happening that's wrong. The bad side is they have to think and they can't even react to anything. But it's the same thing, whether it's in retail or it's at a parking lot or anything. You have to be aware that it's not just on social platforms. It's in real life where you're being observed all the time. Yeah, and that it can spread pretty quickly. Right. right. Yeah. Well, Ted, it's been really great having you on, and, and I could talk to you for days, and, and uh, you know, it was really fun. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and well, uh, how to get your books? It's really easy. I'm, I'm Ted Rubin. Just, you know, Google Everywhere. it. Um, first five pages, maybe more, is me. I'm every one of those things except for the 97-year-old Medal, Medal of Honor winner from World War II. Um, that's, that's not me. But um, I'm at Ted Rubin on Twitter. I'm at Ted Rubin on Instagram. I'm Ted Rubin. Um, I, I, I'm Ted Rubin at gmail.com. My phone number is 516-270-5511. Uh, reach out anytime. Uh, LinkedIn, Ted Rubin, it's all in the same place. And, you know, Janet, I, as much as I enjoyed this, I really enjoyed when we got to see each other in San Francisco and had a chance to chat um, at, at a couple of events. It was, it was kind of great. I got to see you two days. Yeah, while. it was so much fun. So uh, listen, reach out anytime. I'm happy to chat. Um, this was really fun. And again, anybody who wants to reach out to me, um, I just gave you my information. Uh, you reach out, you'll hear back. I verify that. Ted does respond. Well, thank you, everybody. It's been great. Have a great, great week. Thank you. You too. Take care.